Travel is back, tourists are out, and hotels are filling up again. It all sounds very pre-pandemic, but climate change hasn't taken a break. Can the hospitality sector green itself fast enough while recouping losses from the COVID years? This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Liang Li. Hotels face a big sustainability challenge. A landmark industry report five years ago found that the hotel sector needs to reduce its carbon footprint by 90% by 2050 to keep global warming under 2 degrees Celsius. But between 2015 and 2020, the carbon footprint of a hotel stay dropped by only 10%, according to consultancy firm Greenview. Much greater action is needed in a sector that emits 1% of global greenhouse gases today. That figure is expected to grow along with the demand for travel. So, how can hotels up their green game now after being pummeled hard by COVID-19? Could the idea of luxury and good hospitality get in the way of sustainability? How can hotels also take better care of employees and local communities? Two guests are here with me to talk about these issues. We have Miss Kui Weilin, the president of the Singapore Hotel Association and the head of hotels at Pontiac Land Group. We also have Mr. Andrew Dixon, the director of Nikoi and Champadak Islands, two private resort islands near Bintan, Indonesia. Great to have you with us, Weilin and Andrew. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Let's start with Weilin uh, with a broad question by asking, you know, how's the sustainability situation in the hotel industry now compared to pre-pandemic in 2019? Thanks. Um, so the Singapore Hotel Association, we represent 160 members. In 2019, we represented the same number. So I'm very proud that we actually all pulled together to sustain COVID. And one of the things that the Hotel Association and the industry has come together is actually on sustainability. Right out of COVID, we all pledged that we would do two things. We had a sustainability roadmap. So we pledged that one, we would all uh, start tracking carbon by next year and aim to uh, achieve global certification. And then number two is to start reducing carbon by 2030 and then go to net zero by 2050. So th those are very large, ambitious plans. But I was very proud that the industry actually came together and supported that right out of COVID. So I think it, it makes sense to show that sustainability is also business sense. Really glad that you brought out the roadmap. It's definitely something we'll talk about later. But before that, I want to also turn the, I mean, just ask Andrew the same question and maybe add in one extra point in that, you know, is the drive for sustainability as strong as the pre-pandemic years when things were going okay then? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, from our perspective, you know, we've always been on um, a roadmap to um, try and be as sustainable as possible. It's been part of our DNA and I think why people have been attracted to visiting us. So nothing's really changed from us. Um, there's definitely more awareness from a customer perspective. And from an operational perspective, you know, we've pretty much continued in the same vein as, as I mentioned before. But the pandemic sort of certainly highlighted the value of some of the policies that we had in place. You know, we've always done a lot of work around with our staff and training. Um, but one of the things we did through the pandemic is we kept all of our permanent staff on. And it did mean that we were back, able to get back up and running much quicker than others. Um, so, you know, it again resonated to us, looking after your staff is important. We did have staff on reduced salaries, but we were able to find them some additional ways to make income through maintenance work and um, 
through some beach cleanups we did with um, with an NGO. You know, we collected 250 tonnes of plastic during that period of the pandemic. And so we had some good positive results that came out of trying to keep our staff on, involved. So, yeah, um, nutshell, not really changed in terms of the philosophy. Um, awareness from guests, yes, um, changed or a little bit, not a lot. I think we had pretty aware guests already. And um, trying to work with staff was a big thing for us. So. Gotcha. And Andrew, um, you mentioned about awareness from guests. The, the level of awareness was already high, you know, pre-pandemic, you were mentioning that. But I just want to jump on to the next question. I think it's a good link in that, you know, after the pandemic, I'm sure guests would want greater hygiene. That's one of the things on their mind for sure when they travel. Just wondering if this does get in the way of, for example, reducing waste in the hotel in terms Funny of... Funny enough, I think they are, they are, our visitors just want to get off their masks and get away from it. Um, and, and we're a sort of place that, you know, we, we don't have buffet. We never had buffets. Um, uh, we're, we're not in an air-conditioned environment. And we already had, you know, space was a big thing and one of our big selling points. So you weren't sitting next to someone at the table. You didn't... It was a very personalised service in many respects. And, and so a lot of those challenges that city hotels would face, we haven't had an issue with. You know, we don't have lift buttons to clean and door handles to clean. We don't have any of those. So um, it's, it's not been very difficult for us um, to, to adjust, to be honest. And generally, people have been keen to get away from it also. Sure, Andrew, but I just wanted to ask, so, you know, in terms of how often, for example, guests want their rooms cleaned for their towels and linens changed. Have you seen any? No, it's about Look, the same. I'm not, I'm not on the ground all the time, but, you know, from, from what I'm hearing, there's been no change in it, so, to be honest. Sure. And uh, Waylene, kind of same question with you. And I guess Andrew mentioned that they have no buffets, uh, no lift buttons, but I, I guess these are things that you have, you have to contend with. So how has it been balancing, you know, guests need for hygiene and maintaining the level of sustainability? So I think at the end of the day, it's still very important to focus on what the guest wants. Um, and I think Booking.com did a very good survey. Their 2022 sustainability travel report mentioned that I think about 71% of travelers still want to make an effort in the year to travel more sustainably. And 53% are more determined to make sustainable travel choices. Um, so as hotels, we also have to walk the talk. Uh, yes, there is more excess waste in terms of disposables, but on the flip side, because of the crunch on energy, we've actually focused a lot on energy savings and in a way also reducing our carbon emissions. So many of us has taken the downtime to um, invest on heat exchanges, building management systems to reduce air conditioning, etc. So all these things may not be as uh, visible to the guest, but all adds up towards our sustainability journey. Um, in terms of waste, actually today I was just getting off a big discussion about how uh, we as hotels, so STV has been, our government has been very uh, helpful and many of our hotels have actually put in biodigesters to reduce our waste. Um, but the question is, what do we do with the, but the, the waste from biodigesters? So I was just in a discussion today about how do we link up the whole ecosystem and collect all the waste from all these different city hotels 
and then upcycle it into feed for black soldier flies. So actually, there's a lot of learning going on for sustainability. Um, that's why we, the Hotel Association has formed a Hotel Sustainability Council. We are just sharing best practices because I think in this kind of space, I'm glad to see that competitors are willing to share information because we're all in a new space. Waylene, you'll have to come and visit us because we we um, use black soldier flies to compost all of our food waste. So. Oh, you do too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think we're one of the first hotels I know. I can't find any other hotels doing it, so we're pretty proud about that. Uh, we've been doing it for many years. Um, oh, and good, it's, it's, great. It's great. Yeah. That's awesome, actually. And really, sorry, just one quick follow-up. You, you mentioned that, you know, for, for guests, they are still kind of conscious about, you know, um, hygiene and that does add up a little bit on waste. So I'm just wondering, you know, in this atmosphere, is there more room to kind of educate the guests in terms of, you know, getting the waste level a little lower in a sense? Yes, I think so. I think especially um, in terms of food, it's like, you know, making sure that they, they know that not to take too much or... Uh, in terms of uh, expectations, in terms of changing of laundry, I think that one we've educated uh, our guests a long time ago, and I think the expectation is there. But of course, at the end of the day, you still want a hygienic room, um, and that's what we provide. Gotcha. The next question is kind of a conceptual one. You know, how do you balance luxury and, in a sense, good service with sustainability? Um, I'll let Andrew lead on this, perhaps. Sure. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I take the view that they're inextric inextricably linked um, and at many levels. To me, sustainability can be luxurious, and I think that's the best approach to take with it. Um, space and privacy, in my mind, are true luxuries, and that's what a lot of people are looking for. And I think post-pandemic, even more so on that. Too often, I think people think of having to be sustainable as, as having to give up something, and I think that's the wrong mindset. I think that's the mindset we have to change. You know, a true luxury is having a chef that takes time to go and source fresh organic produce from a local farm um, rather than some frozen lobster that's flown halfway around the world. And so, you know, to take that even further, you know, another level up would be to have that farmer come over and meet the guests and talk about his farm and his farming practices and or even better going and inviting the guests to come and visit the farm. So that's sort of the mindset, if that makes sense, as to how I look at it. You know, I think that there's there's a lot that can be done around that and there's a lot of opportunities to not downplay sustainability or see that it's taken away. It's actually, to me, there's a, there's a real opportunity to upsell it as a, as a premium product. Yeah, I, I think, that, Andrew, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think our guests now, and especially the luxury guests, are a lot more conscious about where... Um, their, their food is coming from, you know, where the water is coming from and, you know, how, how they impact communities. Uh, so, for example, in Singapore, many of our uh, high-end hotels do have their own urban farms. So, for example, the Swiss Hotel in Fairmont on top of a giant shopping mall, uh, they have an aquaponics uh, plant um, yeah. and they grow their fresh herbs and vegetables there. Uh, so there's just all this rooftop farming that we're, we're trying out. Just small little steps that I think the customer appreciates and 
is willing to pay a premium for as well. Pontiacland hotels, for example, we've put in all bamboo toothbrushes, and um, you don't no longer use plastic combs. Um, it's been very hard, I think, for the industry to move away from plastic bottles because it requires a whole ecosystem. But we have many of us have invested in either taps. So these are more longer term costs. You have to go in and repipe places and then put in in um, taps, uh, or you buy a bottling. Uh, system or something like that. And, and actually that ends up costing more because of manpower. Uh, but we've all uh, made an effort to do that. And because the luxury guests can pay more, therefore we can afford to uh, invest in these solutions. Gotcha, Weilin. And I, I'm just curious also, if you look at you know, um, luxury, I, I'm sure there are certain you know, standards that guests kind of expect. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, when you talk about trying to shift this definition of luxury towards something more sustainable, how do you gauge whether a, a step is perhaps, you know, acceptable for the guests or maybe pushing it too far? I mean, just to give some perhaps very blunt examples, no beef on the menu. Is that okay? No large private baths, aircon controls, etc. How do you judge, you know, whether these steps are okay? Um, do you want me to go first? Um... Uh, sure, either of you. Yeah, look, that's that's interesting. As a small property, very boutique, we we can get away by just trialing some of that stuff, and that's what we do. Um, get feedback. Um, we're also talking to our guests regularly, so we you know we're getting the feedback directly. I I think that's the best way to be honest. Um, but it's much harder for a big hotel to to, to manage that. But a small property, we can we can trial. We and we trial a lot of things. Um, that's how we go about it. Yeah, and I think also it's about giving the guests options. Um, it's about yeah. educating people because you don't want the backlash of people getting upset about the whole sustainability efforts, right? Um, it's about bringing everyone along so that in a way that it, this appreciation of what uh, the earth can give us, and I think most people are very interested in doing so. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think as larger organizations, we have to be responsible um, and make sure that we just reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Cool. Gotcha, Weilin. And Andrew, do you mind if I just ask one more um, question specific to, you know, the, the kind of property you run? Uh, the two islands are kind of like, you know, luxury resort islands that's more kind of an eco-tourism kind of design, right? Um, in such designs, I mean, if you want luxury, I suppose you do have to manicure a little bit at least of the natural space. But of course, the gold standard for biodiversity conservation is always to leave things native. Um, I'm just wondering how do you balance these two on your island between manicuring and you know leaving things native? Um, we go very much towards the leaving them natural. In fact, we've cut down very, very few trees. Uh, in fact, I would say there's more um, greenery on our islands than there was when we took them on. Um, so yes, there is some landscaping, but we use local plants and um, it's it's very minimal. We don't have any concrete paths um, or very, very few. Um, they're all sand or, um, um, or earth paths. Um, and, and, you know, in both islands, we've noticed uh, um, an increase in biodiversity. So I think actually we can have a positive impact, yeah, on the environment and biodiversity definitely, yeah. Gotcha. And yeah, thanks for allowing me to be kind of playful on this question. I, I was just trying to tease out the concept, to, you know, luxury and sustainability. Yeah, no, it's but, a good um, question. Yeah. And yeah, let's jump to the next question then. Avelin, uh, can I get you to start on this? Basically, um, when we talk about net zero emissions by 2050, I mean, like you said, Singapore's hospitality sector has a roadmap. I'm just wondering how far can you go towards net zero without relying too much on carbon offsetting? What are some of the main steps that, you know, you guys have to do essentially? 
No, that thanks for that question. Actually, um, we are not looking at carbon offsetting right now. We are looking actually at carbon reduction. Um, so going through all our processes, uh, I mean, energy is the biggest one and air conditioning in Singapore is the biggest one. Uh, long term, in terms of design, we're designing places that are more open air, uh, probably more like Andrew's uh, place that require less air conditioning and more natural ventilation. Uh, but places that do have air conditioning, like I mentioned earlier about having building management systems, uh, managing your chiller, setting it at a higher temperature when the guest is not there. We are also looking at alternate sources of energy. So in a way, the current situation with uh, oil prices that high, is actually forcing the industry to really look at their energy consumption. They are looking at alternate ways. Um, I think at, right now, uh, solar is making more sense. And there's actually quite a few grants from the government. So I'm, I'm sure quite a few more hotels will jump on that. Some hotels in Singapore are also looking at tidal waves generation. That's maybe further out, but uh, we're looking at other ways of getting energy. So I, I think a lot of it is like low-hanging fruit that perhaps in the past when oil prices were lower, we sort of just brushed aside. But I think with the double whammy of COVID as well as this energy crisis, it's really forced people to look at cost savings and that translates into carbon savings too. I see. And if I heard it right, the main weapon you have in your arsenal is kind of energy efficiency measures. Yes, I would imagine those. I mean, that is one of the biggest ones. Mm. And for existing um, property, I, I suppose there's lots of room for retrofit. Um, for new property, are there any things that you can look out for to you know, get it closer to net zero from the get-go? Yep. So for Singapore, um, all new buildings have to be green mark gold, uh, and that is uh, already puts you on a lower carbon footprint. So there are quite a few things that um, new buildings are doing, uh, but of course the largest the largest amount of buildings are in the older hotels with the retrofits. Uh, so there's also government grants that encourage you to retrofit your building to reduce energy consumption. Uh, there's some new invention of this paint that reduces, uh, actually it's a Singapore company, they, they, it reduces uh, internal temperatures by 1-2% and uh, 3M film, all these things that we're all exploring, making sure that there's no leaf that's not turned. Gotcha. And Andrew, what about in, in your context in, in the islands? Yeah, I mean, I'd echo a lot of um, what Weiland's approach is. Um, we, we've focused on reduction of energy from the start. I've um, been doing it for many years. Uh, we don't um, offset with carbon, through carbon credits, um, but our focus is to get it down to such a level that, um, you know, it's pretty small. For, for scope one and two emissions, I think there's a lot that, that hotels can do generally, um, and it's that low-hanging fruit um, that Weiland talked about is, is where hotels should focus and there's you know you can do that without diminishing your offering to um to guests and in fact uh, often i think you can improve it i mean buildings i often find in singapore are way too cold for to be comfortable it can be as simple as resetting the bed so that you're not having you haven't don't have a quilt on the bed you know in this climate you shouldn't be sleeping <laughs> under a quilt and if you change that arrangement, then, you know, you have a cotton sheet and sleep on and you can sleep better and without the, the aircon on, on very cold. So I think there's quite a lot if you rethink things. You know, we, we get a little bit hung up on 
historically how hotel beds and things should be set, but not addressing it for the local environment. And so that's that's where I think, you know, that's an example. There's lots of other examples you can come up with, but I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I guess for me, I I'm, didn't grow up as a hotelier, so I trained as a chartered accountant. And so, you know, I, I look at things. I've come into the industry, made a lot of mistakes, but... By, by having a different mindset or a different approach, then you can come up with different ways. I think that's, you need to throw out the, the old ways of thinking and look at things afresh. Gotcha. Andrew, I, I can't help but notice you mentioned scope one and scope two is easy for hotels. How, do, how about scope three then? Scope three is complicated, I think, because you, know, you have less control over it. And certainly, I think you can do it by having purchasing decisions that, that, that align with your philosophy. And that's the approach that we take with it. But, you know, it's, it's complicated. Um, you know, for instance, for us, guests coming to our property will use way more energy getting there than they will ever during their stay. And so um, our focus has been how we get them to stay longer. <laughs> So we're ultimately reducing those numbers of trips. I guess you're then reducing your average emissions um, through through that on scope three. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated one because um, we just don't have the control that you would um, over the other the other two or the direct control, direct influence. So. All right, gotcha, Andrew. Thanks for that. The next question is with hotels buzzing and looking for employees again now post COVID with travelers coming back. Um, is there a risk of you know unfair employment, modern slavery, and you know all these social issues that used to plague hotels coming back again? Um, yeah, and how do you safeguard against that? Andrew, could I get you to maybe start on this? It's hard one for me to answer because I, I've not really seen much of that. The the um in in my small context, you know, Indonesia, Riau province. Certainly, you know, the the challenge in Indonesia is is is. Oh my gosh, I don't know where to start for this, but it's not easy in terms that the labour laws strongly favour um, the employee. Um, and in many ways that disadvantages them because it, it, it sets up employers to, to look at hiring people casually rather than formally. Um, so if you really wanted to change things for the better, you would change that, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. And that's a, you know, complex, complicated world. I think that, that hotels are waking up to the fact, and employers generally are waking up to the fact that you get much better service from looking after your employees and therefore a better result to the guests. And one of the things, you know, we've focused for years on this, on doing staff training, and on, on employment benefit schemes that, you know, don't exist in our, in our sphere. And they pay us dividends. We've got, you know, retention rates that are off the charts. Um, we lose less than 10% of our staff every year. And now in the hotel world, that's small. On, a private, on, on a island properties, you know, the turnover rates around the world can be over 100% for staff. Um, but we've found by looking after staff and, and, and training them and looking after them and, and giving them welfare that, is not standard means that we get fantastic um, loyalty and that pays off in, in, in service in the end of the day. And if you look at reviews that we get from guests, they will always go back and talk about the service standards. And that is key to running a hotel, in my view. Yeah. And I mean, I think honestly, um, the market right now is so favored to the employ employee. Uh, everyone is looking for manpower and talent and so 
the key thing for any successful hotel is really to hold on to their talent um, and really treat them well. Gotcha, Waylene. The next question, I, I guess I want to start with you. I'm not sure if this is a big problem in Singapore, but I would love to get your views on it. In that, are there sufficient safeguards today against, you know, when new new properties, new hotels, resorts are being built, are there enough safeguards against displacing local communities who may be in that, you know, greenfield development? Mm, okay, so I, I think for Singapore, um, we are very well planned. There's a master plan that goes on for uh, decades. Uh, so I think we don't have this that much of an issue here. Sure. If I could just add a little, what about cultural, you know, cultural conservation in terms of preserving old buildings? Would that be something that you know to look into? Yes, I mean, um, the conservation uh, environment in Singapore is actually very strong. Many uh, we have uh, a few hotels already that are a uh, conservation status. Uh, and we work very closely with the government to uh, make sure that we preserve the heritage because we believe that um, that's one of the main selling points as well, that customers, especially luxury customers, they want to come uh, and experience something different, not just a, a, a box, right? People want to come here and, you know, stay at the Raffles Hotel or the Capella Singapore, um, you know, or the Fullerton. These are all heritage hotels. And Andrew, what what has that been in your experience in terms of safeguarding local communities and cultures? Um, uh, we've not seen any problem developments in our area. There's been a little bit, but not not a lot. Um, generally, there's you know a bit of backlash when that happens. It's not really worth your while. Um, so uh, look, I I can't necessarily speak in, in, in a wider context and and so I, well, I'd rather not um, yeah I'm sure that I mean I know that there have been issues around um, I think culture is an interesting one and and that's probably the one that I'd be most worried about in our area um, you know it's an interesting we it's an interesting question certainly around the culture we're members of a group called the long run and um, it's not so much about certification, but it's it's a group that's focused around sustainability. And they have an interesting framework um, they call the four C's. And the four C's are community, culture, conservation, and commerce. And so, you know, it's interesting. Their culture one's in that list, and it's it's an important one. And it's not an easy one to get right. And culture is is a lot of different things. You know, often we think of cultural as artifacts or buildings, but it's food and it's other, you know, there's lots of cultural identity in, in any community. And they're really important. That's a really important aspect, I think, to try and protect. It's not an easy one, um, but very important. And I think guests value it a lot if you get it right. Sure. Always for that unique kind of traveling experience, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what people are after now. They're after mm-hmm. interesting, unique experiences. Um, yep. it's not, and it's not necessarily visiting sites. It's, it's, it's the whole gamut. The whole experience. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And yeah, I, I'd just like to ask one last question, maybe a short one from each speaker in terms of, you know, what is the greatest sustainability challenge you're looking to address now? Uh, Willine, could I start with you? Sure. I think the biggest one actually is time. Um, time is running out for the planet and we just need more change and change faster. Andrew, is it time for you? or is it? I, I like Wayland's answer. I have to say, I didn't think of it, but I like it. 
I got done and I've got so many challenges that I don't know where to start, but I'm going to go with wheel-ins as well. So, <laughs> so time, how do we, how, how, how do yeah, you Yeah, there's so much to do. We've got to do it so quickly. We really are. It's, it's really quite pressing. And, you know, um, I think um, particularly around biodiversity loss, I think is, is something there that we are, you know, there's lots of threatened species out there. Yeah, I mean, in Singapore, rising uh, seawaters, that's one of the, our biggest issues as well, right? So every place has um, different problems, but all because of climate change. When the wildfires raging in Europe, crazy things going all around the world. Yeah, I'd like another decade up my sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. For sure. I, I'm sure this sense of urgency is not just the hospitality sector, it's for all the sectors to think yeah. about. So definitely ripe for conversation in the next few years and very excited to see what we can, you know, the place we can go to by the time we reach 2050. That was a great conversation. Thank you both for coming on this podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening.